Hey everyone, this episode is about how to take what you know, record it, and make it into a podcast that you can monetize. I also wanna say that I'm testing out a few new formats for live streaming and remote production work because we're basically still all sheltering in place. I also shot this episode with the bare minimum equipment, just using my webcam and a few simple tools to see what it was like if you were just to start from scratch with no budget, not knowing whether or not this was gonna work and to give it a try. So you'll notice that the video is not great. I'm using my webcam and I'm using QuickTime to do like a screen capture and then sync the audio. Also, this video is about podcasting, but it's also a podcasting one-on-one. It's very basic stuff. So if you're a pro, you might wanna skip this one and watch one of my other videos. Maybe like there's no overnight success. That's one of my favorites. I'm sure you're gonna have a ton of questions. Please leave them in the comments below and I'll do my best to answer them. And here we go. Hey everyone, it's Brian Elliott. Welcome to another edition of Behind the Brand. Actually a very special edition, a Squadcast edition, which is uh, we're doing this via podcast and video with the co-founders of a very special platform called Squadcast, which is super high quality, professional grade audio, soon to be video of the co-founders, Zach and Rock. Guys, welcome to the show. Hi, Brian. I usually ask my guests, how did you get this job? And maybe Zach, I'll ask you first. Yeah, uh, it's a bit fortuitous and incredibly fortunate to to be here today. So thank you again. And uh, really came out of this challenge that we found ourselves having when we set out to record a high quality audio drama in podcasting. And uh, really the team that we were working on was had all the skills that you would think a podcast team would you'd want to have. Um, audio engineer, I'm a web developer and um, had worked on some written uh, scripts and plays and things like that. But um, we really found this this challenge of bottleneck of quality when we set out to record and we weren't in the same location. So we were a remote team spread over California and the quality of the vocals of the voice actors we were working with was uh, terrible compared to the rest of the sound design. And that's really what uh, was the frustration that led us down this path of asking ourselves, how could we do this better? And why is this the state of the art? And uh, really just started talking to podcasters and listening to uh, their needs from there. Give us some context about how many years ago this was. We've been at this about four years now, almost four years. What would you say has, what would you say is the peak um, kind of era or time period for podcasts? Because I feel like they really are just starting to come into their own. It's becoming widely accepted. What would you say about that, though? I agree with your perspective. I think this is the beginning. I think this is early days uh, when you compare it to other established mediums like television or the web or uh, really any other. We're, uh, we're just kind of starting to define what is a podcast and what's possible in this medium. And that's actually what our podcast is about, uh, Between Two Mics, where we talk to people who are working on the edges of podcasting to help define what that means. Yeah. And Rock, were you a fan of podcasts before you jumped into this? I know that you crossed over industries. You were in a very kind of traditional, come from an accounting finance background, helping, you know, round out. You're the yin to the yang. I, I assume when I look at Zach as the, maybe the tech guy, uh, were you a fan of podcasts? I was, I was absolutely a fan and that's what made 
getting behind this idea and going on this journey with Zach. That's what made it uh, really interesting to me. In addition to we've known each other since high school. Over that time, I've seen Zach set really uh, audacious at the time. It seemed audacious goals and then him accomplish them. And I'd like to think of myself as someone kind of similar, maybe not as audacious. And that's what makes him a great CEO <laughs> and not as visionary, I should say. Yeah, I think this is great timing. I mean, I think about people who just signed $100 million contracts with Spotify, like Joe Rogan. Um, I think I think about Tim Ferriss, who has a probably a seven or maybe eight-figure, probably high seven-figure podcast. Um, and then I look back to like Sirius XM and the Howard Stern era, it seems like what you guys are doing is really trying to bring high quality production quality audio and probably eventually video like in the in the days of Sirius, right? Yeah, and and learning from those uh those that have come before us and trying to make that uh it used to be kind of seen when we first started in in podcasting that to get really high quality audio you needed to be in um you know an NPR studio somewhere and everybody needed to be there together. And the goal was to open that up and make that accessible on the web to anybody anywhere. And uh, and then now with video, as you said. Yeah, NPR. That's a little sore spot with me. <laughs> you mentioned NPR. The reason it's sore is because I started this show, this series Behind the Brand, in 2009, heading into 2010, so almost a decade ago. Hi, I'm Brian Elliott, creator and host of a show called Behind the Brand. It's a show for innovators and entrepreneurs just like you. And things are going pretty well. <gasps> Behind the Brand is about giving you insights to grow your business from the experts who've done it. The best part of the show is taking you behind the scenes of some of the coolest brands and showing you how they get it done. So far, we've shot 300 full-length episodes asking the kind of questions you want to know. What's the secret sauce? How have you done it? What's the formula for success? There are so many people we want to talk to, so many great stories out there to be told. And we didn't start this show to make tons of money. We really see it more as a gift. So what's this project all about? It's about raising enough support to keep making shows. It's about proving to anyone with a show worth making that you can do it with the help and support of the community. We look forward to bringing you the next season of Behind the Brand, Thanks so much for your help. And I feel in many ways we were early. You know, it, it, it wasn't buzzy or popular to be an entrepreneur. I had left a big job at the Hollywood studios to sort of pursue my dream of being a, a content creator, a producer of content. Um, and in 2008, when I did cut the cord to start my little startup, everything, the floor fell out because of the economy, the recession. And um, the reason this show got started is because I, I needed to solve my own problem, scratch my own itch, save myself. Uh, and the show became a solution to that problem. I thought, what do I need right now? I need, I need to be connected um, to all the things that I just disconnected from. People, resources, ideas, money, um, and help. And, and I felt really hopeless and... Uh, but in that moment of panic, I also thought, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to you know, put my sort of brand marketing experience hat back on. I'm going to reach out to the people who know 
what they're talking about. People who've been there, done that, weathered the storm, have dirt under their fingernails. And I started reaching out to people like uh, Seth Godin and this new guy who was super popular, or was not super popular, Gary Vaynerchuk, who's a wine TV guy at the time, um, Simon Sinek and Malcolm Gladwell. And eventually people like Tim came on my show. But um, in 2016, that big machine called NPR launched this show, How I Built This. And I was like, hmm, this is really familiar to Behind the Brand. In fact, it had very similar taglines uh, and it modeled very similar pattern of the guests that I had on the show too. And I was like, hmm, someone's paying attention or is this like a super amazing coincidence? Um, but they have, of course, you know, gone into the stratosphere with that podcast. And it's, I think, one of their most successful of all time. And um, being independent and and not having the resources or distribution they have, it's a little bit, it's a little bit bittersweet to watch their, their meteoric success, you know. Respect for having lived through all of that. And I think it's validating to an extent too, right, that you were uh, the visionary that I think you know, well, well deserved, uh, validation with the work that you're doing before. Yeah. That's one way to look at it, I guess. <laughs> like, you know, uh, I don't think Henry Ford invented the car, right? Uh, he's just the guy that perfected the, the way to make them. Facebook wasn't the, uh, first host from that work, right? Yeah. So I, I would tell that story as yes, sure. They're validating my good idea, but they took it to the bank and, uh, it's, that will that'll be one of my stories about sort of getting punched in the mouth and um, and learning a lesson and, you know, maybe opportunities lost and whatnot. So it's, it's a little bittersweet. Understandable. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to Howard Stern for a second or that whole serious satellite radio. Um, what do you think the opportunities are? for for freelancers or independents like us who want to start something and build it into something big you know it's it's been a decade for us and so we've been growing slowly and you know we have a a modest audience we, we don't have joe rogan's audience but we we have a an audience that's loyal and engaged and and i've always felt like i would rather have you know a hundred people who willing to fall on the sword for me than a million people who don't want to do anything. Um, but what are the opportunities when you look at or compare it to something like radio or where you have to bring someone into a studio to do something like this remotely? I think it's tremendous, uh, tremendous opportunities because there aren't the traditional gatekeepers that come with other forms of media. Um, that's a, that's a big one. So the barrier to entry is really just, it's your choice to start or not, you know, that's really all that's kind of standing in our way these days. And, um, that was, that was true for content, but less true for quality content. And that's really what helps build audience and that rapport with, uh, with the, the hundred super fans that, that you mentioned, um, they value quality as listeners of long form content, uh, to, um, to invest an hour or two hours of their time to listen to a long form conversation can be really taxing if the quality of the audio is not there. Yes. 
that's the product that we're creating as podcasters. So uh, how do you provide a better user experience for that product? And uh, quality is really the the dividing factor there. So opening that up to everybody and and also the guest, right? That's the piece that often is left out, even for the uh, the Uber quality audio files out there. They'll sound great, but their guest is oftentimes remote and they'll record over the phone or however people used to do it before Squadcast. And we're really uh, you know helping people uphold their credibility as guests. Uh, the audience really uh, views the the quality of their audio in line with their credibility. Yeah, when you say that, I had a flashback of Larry King kind of doing the call-in show, like, all right, Walla Walla, Washington, you're on with Larry King, go. And it's like, you know, you hear the guy kind of talking like he's in a soup can or something. So uh, so our hypothesis was podcasting consumption is enhanced and delivered over the web. Why isn't the creation? Uh, if, if it's a true platform and you have creation and consumption, they should both be accessible over the same platform. And that's really what we... Uh, set out to do, uh, as well as some of the other hypothesis that uh, I think you can unpack more than me, Rock, is that uh, towards the, the trajectory we observed um, in our work life of this kind of start of the remote work, uh, uh, kind of future of work um, uh, trajectory that we had seen people uh, distributing and be able to work from home because of the improved internet access, because of the device access that we have. Um, all being much more accessible. So I think a few of those things are kind of uh, the the timing is really important to our story. And I'm glad that that's where you started. Yeah, you know, here we are sitting in 2020, and we're all basically still in lockdown. So it's, it's the timing is perfect, I think, for something like this. And when you're also talking about sort of the flattening or the meritocracy aspect of this, it reminded me of 2005, because you know, I was working at the studio's and there were a lot of gatekeepers. You know, at that point, you know, to become, get granted permission to become a gatekeeper, you had to have a name like J.J. Abrams or, you know, whatever. And when this little YouTube site launched in 05, I thought, this is the signal. Like the playing field's being, being leveled. And even though I didn't really see the vision of what it would become today, I thought, here's a place where I could put up content on my own, I don't need a lot of, you know, the barriers to entry to, to cameras. Well, they would come down two years later with the um, introduction of the iPhone in 2007. And then DSLR cameras also quickly uh, eroded the barriers to almost, you know, like anyone could jump in the game. But um, I feel like Squadcast is kind of like another YouTube type of launch where it really does le level the playing field. You could have a professional looking sounding experience and i do feel like that's super important because where youtube is sort of a lean back experience and you're watching um and you tell me what you guys think but i feel like podcasts are very passive and there's some people that are sitting down with notes and notepad and they're taking notes and um you know they want to capture every single thing but but a lot of people are either commuting on a train or they're um, working out at the gym or they're, you know, just chilling while they're listening to a podcast. And if the audio sucks, then it really detracts from the experience. Yeah, that's that's been our observation as well, that um, 
the consumption is, is very passive. And also because I think um, because of that, the barrier to entry from the listener perspective, I mean, we started out our journey by making this transition from uh, consumers to creators, from being an, uh, a listener of content and being inspired by the people who uh, were really pioneers in the podcast industry and medium. It, it seems very turnkey to say, okay, well, I can, I have a microphone, I have a phone, you know, I can start talking and have a open, meaningful conversation with others and bring value. And that uh, barrier to entry is much lower than something like YouTube or, or even uh, writing uh, for long form, like blog post uh, style kind of pre podcasting. All, all of those things seem like a lot of work, but if I can have a conversation with somebody, we all do that every day, right? So it, it seems like the barrier to entry is very low until you start to add some of these additional constraints of, well, I want to sound good. I want, I want to be able to publish those things, uh, that audio quickly. Yeah. It's really where a platform like ours uh, makes that, uh, actually delivers on that expectation from somebody coming in as a, a first-time creative. You know, I'm thinking about this, and I want you to weigh in too, Rock, but I'm thinking about this as we talk about it. It is sort of YouTube-like, but it's not because YouTube is, um, it's almost like there's an um, unwritten forgiveness for bad production. You sort of almost expect, okay, you know, this started with camcorders, you know, uh, I remember skateboarding and uploading, you know, our tricks and it started with that kind of quality and then it started to ramp up when the cameras got better and cheaper but still it's very forgivable the other thing is when you're watching it there's two pieces of it there's the sound and there's and there's the the video and so of course you know if the sound is terrible it's it's hard to watch the video but at least you have the video if it's more visual than it is audio with with a podcast you're super zeroed and focus in on just the sound and so, you know, if we're listening to a, a Zoom or some of these other competitors that are, you know, the, the timing is off or the sound quality is bad or there's buffering or, you know, something that's happening, it really detracts from the piece, doesn't it? Yeah. And that's why uh, we're totally focused on just the production and just improving the quality of the audio and, and the video. That's what we're working on now. But I will say, I'm glad that you kind of said that we're not particularly like YouTube, because although I do appreciate the comparison, that is incredible. Uh, we only do focus on that production side, but I think it does speak to perhaps a, more of a discussion of, is that what's happening in the podcast space where there is going to be a YouTube where co uh, content creation and consumption is all done on the same pl platform. So maybe that is what's happening with Spotify and Sirius. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting. It's certainly interesting times. Uh, you know, as someone who works in the podcast industry, it's kind of nice telling my family. I don't have to tell my family what I do anymore. Now they all know because they've heard the news about Joe Rogan. They've heard the stories of all these other companies getting purchased in the space. But, you know, we feel like although our original vision to be completely honest, was pretty inflated and kind of more of along the line of being the YouTube for audio or for podcasting. Uh, we really have learned that there's, there's, um, there's value in specialty and focus. And that's really where, um, we feel like we've, we've really made a difference. 
Yeah, and you know, back to the comparison, I think it really is leveling the playing field, or at least making um, high production value podcasting available to more people. I think that's what we're saying. Um, and you look at some of these pioneers, we can't do this session without mentioning Jordan Harbinger, you know, who's been doing it since before we were all born. <laughs> I don't think he'd like that, but yeah, he's the man. No, he is the man. I mean, he's, I mean, what is he like in his 12th or 13th year, something ridiculous like that. Um, podcasting before podcasting was a thing. Um, I can think of people like Pat Flynn and uh, and others who have been doing this forever, who have been blazing the trails. Let's let's focus on people who um, might have deep domain knowledge or IP. I recently wrote a post uh, that'll be on Inc. Magazine, probably it's on there right now, published today, about basically the opportunity if you've got something to teach. So. It could be, you know, you're a lawyer, you know everything about horses or whatever your specialty is, you can package that. And it could be in a platform like Squadcast and you can teach. Um, but let's talk about some best, best practices. What should people know if they want to get into this game? The IP is already in their head, but they need to get it out. What should they do? That's very much how I started to think about podcasting. Um, when rock introduced it to me a, a long time ago was uh, this step towards personalized education. And, um, and that's something that I, I believe is missing from at least ours, our, you know, education system here in the United States. Um, so I think podcasting is really uh, opening that, that dialogue up and bringing kind of the savant or, you know, specific knowledge that, that people have out into the audience so that we can all grow together through digestible conversations it's not really in a format like a lesson plan right it's it's um it's different it's free-flowing it's conversational yeah and and there's a lot that can be learned and it's more digestible in that format um is at least in my own experience so what should people do to get started what like what's the first step let's assume that i've already got sort of an idea what what i want to talk about my wife keeps bugging me to do a he said she said kind of podcast where both of us are just sort of riffing off a topic, you know, um, and we give our opinions about it. But assuming we have the idea and we've got the IP, we're ready to go. What, what are some of the best practices? Yeah, I would say uh, practice is is really really good. But we're all, you know, pretty pretty well versed in our ability to have a flowing conversation. But but on a microphone, that's really where people. Uh, start to start to feel a little bit uncomfortable. So just kind of getting comfortable with uh, with a microphone. Any microphone is fine, and they all sound really great these days. Even um, even like you know on headphone lavalier microphones sound great. It's really more about how you approach the microphone and the technique that you use with the microphone. So that's really simple. It's not complicated. It's more just proximity to your, your mouth to the microphone. You want about a fist distance. That'll go a long way. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's pro tip. Yeah. Okay. Good. And you want to sound. You want to sound. Uh, you want to sound good for the reasons that we've mentioned before. Um, and the environment becomes the constraint beyond that. So putting your dog in the other room is something that I personally have to do. Silencing your cell phones. You don't want to be interrupted. Keyword being flowing conversation. Right. So you kind of remove or reduce. 
um, notifications and things like that that can interrupt that conversation. Um, and then I, I think there's um, not enough has been said about the power and value of listening, being a, a good listener. We tend to think as content creators of what do I say and how do I say it? What's my delivery? Um, but if you're having a dialogue and a meaningful conversation with one or more other people, listening becomes a huge advantage. Um, and there's an element to improv within podcasting uh, because you're never really sure where the conversation's going to go. So I think it's a lot of these soft skills that we all have to some degree, but being intentional and mindful about how we're applying those to our content creation can go a, a really long way. The rest is just kind of hitting record and being consistent. Uh, there's a bunch of other best practices that we can mention, like having a website and specific equipment that we see people use. But, uh, you know, just get, getting started, you don't really need to worry about those things just yet. Well, I want to unpack that just a little bit more, just to get a little bit more specific with some of the listeners who might be intrigued and they're like, I've been dying to start my podcast. I just don't know how. Um, do I need an expensive microphone? And if so, you know, what is expensive? What is not expensive? Um, do I need to spend $500 on a mic? Can I get something? Should it be a USB mic? Should I be casting from my computer like we are right now? I mean, the video quality is probably not great, but give us, give us some advice. Yeah. Uh, so video quality, uh, is our next big thing that we've been kind of alluding to. So, uh, appreciate the, the patience on that, but we're, we're getting there. And, uh, um, so with with audio no you don't need an expensive microphone uh and to more clearly define expensive you can get a, a really solid microphone for somewhere between 10 and 50 dollars and that'll go a long way and yeah usb is is totally fine if you want to have an audio interface for more control you can do that but you're kind of opting into a little bit more complexity if you so choose, but it doesn't need to be complex as a baseline. You just plug it in and flip the switch and you start. What kind of cardioid, directional? Um, so you want to have something that's going to, to work really well with the, the vocal register of, of a human. So most microphones are, are for, for that. You don't want necessarily something like a shotgun microphone. So you want to have, um, you want to have something where it's it's directional, um, so you're not picking up this huge room environment. So it's really popular. We they look fantastic, and we see these Blue Yeti microphones. So um, the 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 industry OGs will kind of uh, will kind of scoff at that, but really it, it's accessible, right? They sell them at Target, they sell them at Best Buy. So anything that gets people to be thinking about their quality is a step in the right direction. You just want to make sure that you put it on. You, you turn it off uh, omnidirectional mode because then you're picking up this huge environment, all the room sounds, every little creak of your desk uh, can get picked up, right? So you want to be uh, intentional about speaking directly into your microphone. And then it's, it's also important what you're not recording, right? You're not recording the dog. You're not recording the sounds of your chair moving. Those things can really uh, kind of distract the listener's experience. Yeah, and I think Rode makes a pretty decent mic um, right around 100 bucks, And then... Most of the pros, the industry people use that Shure. What's the what's the mic that they use? The Shure SM7B is incredibly popular, and we actually, if you're interested in this, we have a uh, um, a report called the Remote Podcast Stats Report, where we have data on what we see people use as far as equipment, 
how long they record for, and there's a bunch of interesting things that uh, are in that report. But uh, the most popular mic we see is uh, the one that Rock and I are using right now, and that's the Audio-Technica ATR2100, which I think you have the updated version of, if I'm, if I'm uh, not, not wrong about that. But um, there's, uh, the, you know, microphones are kind of like cameras. You can get something that's accessible that is in your pocket all the time, like your iPhone, and you can go up to multi-thousand dollar lenses plus, you know, DSLR bodies and that's really what we see people like, uh, I think Jordan Harbinger likes the Electro Voice uh, microphone and, you know, Larry King and all the other people that you've mentioned, right? They have these, these fancy microphones, but um, those are for very specific reasons that you don't necessarily need to get into unless you want to kind of opt into that. And, um, you know, that, that's cool too. It's all supported on, on Squadcast. So whatever guest, whatever microphone your guest has, whatever microphone you have, they'll all sound great. And we, we focus on just kind of giving you uh, your audio that came out of your mouth with nothing else added to it. Yeah, so then all I basically have to do is just push the record button and Squadcast takes care of the rest, right? Yeah, and, uh, and there's a lot of invisible features that are kind of going on under the hood to make that really accessible and easy and reliable um, without sacrificing any of that quality. So things like auto saving the audio, the audio you're recording to the cloud, uh, gets a lot of reliability. We have automatic backups in addition to that. And we make sure that all the audio is recorded independently of everybody. So you can edit it very easily and all this stuff that goes a long way towards making it really easy to produce quality content. Yeah. And you had me, you kind of walked me through this off, off camera before we started, you had me hit the, uh, you had me turn off the echo button and put on proper headphones and that reduces echo noise and makes the production even higher, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, it's not really intuitive how headphones can improve the quality of our audio, but it, it reduces the need for, for some of this extra software that can, uh, can impact the quality if we laugh or talk at the same time. Um, headphones just are a much, much simpler way to, to solve that without any extra software. Well, and the limiter too is, you know, for someone like me who does a lot of production in post, sometimes I can totally just butcher the audio and, you know, the sound is off the charts and it's all blown out and it sounds terrible. To have a limiter on there is fantastic, just in case you forget to do that in production. Um, and then what can I expect after I hit stop? Like, so someone goes into Squadcast, they sign up. Um, Let's let's talk about also how you do it. So is that a subscription model? Is it expensive? Um, it is a subscription model. It's not expensive. It's uh, it's all similar to your experience if you were to go to a physical studio. You would kind of rent a room, uh, a recording booth by the hour. It's the same experience on Squadcast, except that it's five dollars per recording hour instead of like fifty or two hundred or something like that. Yeah, very doable. Yeah, yeah, and and it's uh, something where you get time every month and, with your subscription, and then that is only counted while you're hitting the record button before you hit stop. You can have free-flowing conversation before and after. In fact, we see that quite a bit where uh, people have, uh, you know, off off the record conversations because there's a lot of networking benefits when you're interviewing people like Malcolm Gladwell or Jordan Harbinger. So that's another aspect, uh, the value of podcasting that I don't think enough has been said about. Oh, I just, just the remote nature of it. Like, I'm in Southern California. Malcolm's probably in New Hampshire right now or Vermont, wherever he's hanging out, New York, upstate. 
maybe the Hamptons. Um, yeah, so re- remote is where it's at. And a lot of people are using other services like Zoom. But like I said, you know, as convenient as that is, when you have 10 or 500 people in a meeting at a time, what we're talking about here is really focusing on a high production quality. Like, I have a show, and I wouldn't want to sacrifice the quality of that show with with another kind of audio, and that's why I've connected with you guys, is because that's why it's so appealing to me, is I can still make it sound professional, but have it be remote, and I can get in the game for five bucks an hour. I mean, are you kidding me? It's a no-brainer. Yeah, that was the hypothesis, is that more people would want to scratch their itch like you did originally, Brian, and want to get it out there, and but not always have access to having their guests or co-hosts in the same room with them. We didn't think that quality should get in the way of that. And, you know, one of the things that you said in our uh, example of best practices, we assume that the IP or the, the the content is already created. That's the hardest part. And that's that's your job as the content creator. Our job is to make sure that you just have that great conversation. And honestly, we don't even really need you worried about or thinking about Squadcast. It's really just focusing on having a great conversation and eliminating any of those bad feelings that that we all have experienced, whether it was on Skype or Zoom, where maybe the audio was damaged, it was lost, or it just doesn't sound good. It has that like Skypey sound, excuse me, to it. So that's what we're trying to eliminate uh, with audio and uh, moving on towards video recording as well. Because like you said, I mean, Zoom's great for the purpose. And although we do view Zoom as our number one competitor, probably because so many people are familiar with it and it's good enough, um, you know, and that's a wonderful thing to be compared to right now, I guess. So that's, that's, that's cool. We figured that there's going to be more people like you, that you take your show seriously. This is a part of your profession and quality matters to you. It matters to your audience. So Squadcast is there for people that want the same thing like you do. Yeah. I mean, if Squadcast is Dom Perignon and Zoom is a Budweiser. So it's like, yeah, they're, they're both drinks. They're both drinks and beverages, but it's different. Um, and then what advice or best practice would advice do you have for placement? So I, I use a plas- platform called uh, Lipson, but there are lots of different places to host um, Anchor and all these different places. Do you guys uh, have opinions or want to weigh in on that at all um sure yeah it's uh it's it's an interesting question and i think we're at um we're at a point in podcasting history where it may matter less in the future and that's a bit of a bold statement so i'll I'll back that up by saying does your audience have a better experience because you use one of those services over the other um not really they're to them, they click subscribe, they click play, and you know whatever app they use to listen to it, it's kind of transparent to them whether you're using uh, Libsyn or Anchor. But I will, uh, I will say that it matters to you. It matters to you and your production team, especially if you have aspirations and desires to monetize your podcast. The uh, the listener engagement, the analytics of who's listening and where and for how long, all of those things really matter. And those companies that you mentioned, uh, you know, Simplecast is who we host our podcast with. We're good friends with the team at Libsyn as well, and um, and and Captivate. Those are the three that uh, that I think I'll you know I'll mention. Um, and 
the reason I mentioned those in particular is not necessarily because they're really good at putting an audio file on the internet so people can subscribe to it. It's because of the analytics and because of the, uh, the value in that when you go to monetize your podcast, it really matters. Yeah. And, and to me, it's also convenience. So you're right. I, I don't care. Um, if another company came and swooped in and said, Hey, we want to do this as good or better, but here's some more functionality. I would probably jump ship. The thing I like about where I'm at is I can push one button, put in a little description, upload, and it goes to 12 to 15 different platforms in the blink of an eye, right? Like Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Google, et cetera, et cetera. So the, that convenience factor is super easy. For those who are not in production, you know, and I'm talking about, I guess, video production in particular, I'm talking to you who have recorded something, video and then audio, and you got it back to the lab and you realize there's no audio. Your mic lost battery or you got some sort of interference. It, the whole thing's just a wash. My brother-in-law, he does live broadcast sound for a bunch of sports, professional sports organizations. And, uh, you know, they, they have these challenges too, like mics will stop working, cables will stop working or network. And these challenges never really go away. What we get good at is having redundancy in the system, right? A backup microphone, a backup recording mechanism. The, these different things can go a long way to making sure you're always reaching your audience uh, when you want to be consistent with your content. Yeah, I mean, if, if I got a shot with Mark Cuban, I probably only got one shot. And well, if I screwed up the audio, I don't think I would want to go back to him and say, I screwed up the audio. That would be maybe worse than <laughs> the audio going bad in the first place is having to go back and beg for another chance, which he probably wouldn't give me anyway. So yeah, that's actually, it's subtle, but critical, super important. Um, and then we are, well, I'm screen recording this because video is still in beta, but talk about why you've decided to cross over to the dark side and do video as well and how that's going. Yeah, we have always had video for the conversation. So uh, we'll go back to that word flow that you mentioned before. There's a whole area of communication that's nonverbal, and it's a pretty large percentage of communication it is through body language and eye contact and these nonverbal forms of communication. So even though we were only recording audio, we have always had video in the experience of recording because we wanted to have that the, the, the meaning preserved of the body language and eye contact. I mean, were you, were you inspired at all by what Joe Rogan's been doing? I mean, he's been recording his podcast for a long time. It gets a lot of attention and it's a great twofer. I mean, let's face it, in production, two for the price of one you know i hit video i hit audio boom i've got two different tracks for arguably two different ecosystems and um it's just another way to give it more legs absolutely inspired by the work that he's done um and and also by some data that we've seen come through edison research with polling audience members they very much view it as uh, not as a podcast and a YouTube channel, they view it as a holistic show. And um, wherever they're able to engage with your content uh, at that particular point in time, 
they want you to be accessible to them. So if they're able to use their eyes, they'll watch on YouTube. Uh, if they're able to just listen in the car, they'll listen. And the the value is really what you just hit the nail on the head. And, and that's for the same conversation, the same core investment of let's call it one hour, you get to get this plurality of content in the source format. So we were inspired by uh, Joe Rogan. We were also, I would say, maybe more so inspired by conversations with our customers. We're really big on listening to the community and their needs. And because we always had video for the conversation, the inevitable next question is, can I record this video and, uh, and get that value and meet my audience where they're at? And uh, we've, we've been working hard on that for a long time. So the, um, the intellectual property I mentioned of how we upload the audio, how we record the audio to capture the source, all of those things have been designed to also accommodate video. And that's really where this has been you know, uh, a long time coming. And we're really excited to, to be kind of on the, the horizon of bringing that to life. So sort of bring this home, Rock, um, on the business side, what are some of the other ways that maybe independents can monetize or leverage this opportunity, this platform? I mean, for us on the YouTube channel, it's been our, you know, our bread and butter. We focus on the video. We launched the podcast. Actually, we launched it and relaunched it several times, uh, start and stop, because we had certain partnerships lined up and then... Um, certain things happened, contracts didn't go through the way that we were expecting and things took, took a uh, turn. But we officially relaunched it um, it's almost two years ago now. And of course, sponsorship and all that's a no-brainer. But what are some of the opportunities that we might not be thinking of? What's the white space? It's a good question. It's a, I think it's a, a big problem in the space, quite honestly. And, and that's why uh, for us, when we were first building the business model for Squadcast, we were very mindful that a lot of podcasters are independent, working with small teams, small resources. Uh, we're a self-funded startup. So in a lot of ways, we have to we, we share a similar journey. Um, so I think that makes us really relatable and, and really embrace the, the podcast, the independent podcaster specifically. Um, I would say most people probably get into the game thinking that they'll make money through ads, which is certainly a good way. And like Zach said, there's some great ways to set yourself up for success. But I don't know if that's the best route for everybody. And we're fortunate enough to engage with a bunch of podcasters in the space that are kind of paving their own way in a really unique way to to get compensation, to monetize from their podcast. But I think it really depends on your audience. It really depends on what's a good fit for you. Jen Briney is a great example, who's the host of the Congressional Dis podcast congressional dish podcast and she's based out of uh the bay area so we got the opportunity to see her uh, present on her monetization strategy at the local meetups that we attend here in the bay area uh, that are podcasting focused and she's really anti-ads because her content is reading bills and kind of synthesizing them for folks like you and me that don't have to go through and do the dirty work roll our sleeves up and try to decode what this is supposed to be English, but really means <laughs> she does all that for us, but she felt like the ads, uh, ad revenue would kind of, uh, 
cause some independence. Yeah, cause some independence issues, or you know, take away from what her audience is is coming to her for, which is like this this you know just her take on it uh, with unbiased um, reasons. Um, so what she does is uses Patreon or I think a few other ways to get her podcast monetized. So Patreon's a good way. Um, and then we have another friend out here in the East Bay who has the uh, Sleep with Me podcast. His podcast is all um, listener. Um, derived as far as revenue goes. So um, another good way that we've seen is to like build products around or products that your audience might find valuable. So another, another podcast that uh, Zach and I know about is the bar above podcast where it's for like upscale bartenders to learn how to improve their craft. And what they did is they started selling high end bartending products because that's who their audience was. And they basically scratched their own itch on making the products that they as bartenders would want and selling them to their audience. So that's not going to work for everybody, but I think there's just so many opportunities. These are great opportunities to see what is possible that you don't have to do just ads that maybe there is a product opportunity. Maybe there is some service opportunities. Maybe your audience is loves what you're doing so much. They're just going to pay you for it. Like why not? But that's the beauty of podcasting is you can make this whatever you want. If you want to make it to make money, wonderful. There's plenty of ways to do it, but if you don't, that's okay too. Well, also, and I'll just add on to what you said because I totally agree. There, There's more ways to the ROI, right? The return on investment than money, right? So one of your ROI metrics might be you become the expert, you know, maybe not the expert, but one of the go-to people on this subject. And it could just very well be that you're one of the few people who has, you know, gone to the trouble of creating this podcast and you're one of a couple of voices. And even if you're not the most renowned, you could rise to the top. Um, You know, it's kind of like Google search. If it's not there and then you put it there, you get found and you become this expert, especially if you know what you're talking about and you got the chops. Um, That's been kind of the serendipitous um happy accident that's happened to me which is i do this show i talk to some pretty high profile people and you just never know who's watching but people are watching and they're listening and i you know i get these calls or i get these emails from people that said i saw you on the show with so and so i really like your style um by the way would you be interested in directing my next blah 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 and it's like Wow, yeah, I had no idea that you were watching, but you were. I think I remember the story of uh, Casey Neistat telling his story, too, uh, when, who's the head of NBC at the time, uh, I think it was his son who was watching his YouTube channel, and he kept bugging his dad. He said, you need to work with this Casey Neistat guy, because he's, he's the guy. And he did that $25 million uh, deal with CNN. It ended up falling through, but... The lesson is you, you just don't know who's watching or who's listening. And um, if you could become an expert in your category, uh, sometimes it might just be a way to give back to your audience, right? You you give without this expectation of return, um, and then it turns into something. So I'm, I'm a huge, huge advocate, huge fan of sharing your expertise. Even, I think... You know, those of us like me who are introverts, we have this ten- tendency to think, ah, no one really cares about that, or I don't look great, or I don't sound great, I don't have, I don't have a, the voice for this. 
But none of that really matters, right? If the content is great, uh, and especially with a little help from a platform like Squadcast, you could really level up your game, make it even more professional, have the confidence, the audacity to call it a show if you want to. Um, good things can happen. Absolutely. And there's there's a, a number of, uh, we'll call them non-monetary values to podcasting. And because podcasting is so personalized and the there's so granular niches that people are becoming experts in that you're finding this audience that is incredibly uh, specific to your topic of conversation. That's valuable. And then also, as you said, you're becoming an expert in that particular thing. That can be a position that you leverage towards a speaking career if you're inclined. And once we kind of get back to uh, out of shelter in place, I guess, maybe, um, there's there's all kinds of ways that that can be leveraged to the next step of building out this this uh, this brand. Yeah, uh, and the other that I mentioned briefly before is 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 just having the opportunity to add value and and meet the people at uh, who are worth interviewing, right? Guests that are higher profile than yourself. Those relationships uh, are incredibly valuable in and of themselves. So, uh, so a podcast is a great way to kind of offer up value rather than maybe a cold message on LinkedIn saying, "Hey, can I pick your brain over coffee?" And it's like it's a much more compelling offer to say, "I have this audience; they're ravenous to hear what you have to say about this topic, and uh, and I'd love to help you know help with that conversation so you can reach more people with your mi mission and message." That's a much more compelling ask and offer. So. Yeah, kinds of value to uh, to leverage in different directions with the podcast. Yeah, well, you mentioned Patreon and some of these other platforms, um, but think of it like this too. I mean, instead of maybe having a private Facebook group, um, imagine, you know, basically calling together all of these questions from your different social channels, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. I mean, wherever you're taking all these fans' questions, like, what do you want to know about what I know? And then you use your podcast, even if you're not, if you don't have guests like we do right now, even if you're just talking um, and answering fan and audience questions, that's, that's huge value. I mean, especially when you're an expert, that's what people pay to go to graduate school. They sit through a lecture. Um, I mean, how much would you pay to sit at the feet of the master and hear her talk about everything she knows? So um, there's tons of ways to to build value, whether it's, you know, having people pay for it or, or just giving back and, and hoping something good will happen. I mean, this, it's a no brainer to me.